The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Fighting for Love. This show will help you turn conflict into collaboration in all your relationships. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank, an attorney mediator since 1985. She's a mediator for the Orange County Superior Court Civil Mediation Panel. Mari's a professor of negotiations and conflict management and has been a certified state bar trainer for over 25 years. To learn more about the show and our great guests, please visit conflicthealing.com. Mari, what's your show about this morning? Good morning. So we are so thrilled that we are going to be speaking today with Azim Kamiza. I met Azim several years ago. Um, We've had him on the show a couple times for his other books, which are wonderful and really inspiring. And um, and today we're going to have him on again. We decided to do it as a Zoom interview as well as an audio, so we're really excited. And Azim has presented for the mediation conference in which I was in charge of about four or five years ago, and he did a fabulous job. Everyone walked out of there so inspired. So I hope that you get a lot out of today because Azim is really a wonderful mentor for us all. So let me, and I just want to tell you, I've been reading his book, and this is a wonderful book called The Secrets of the Bulletproof Spirit, How to Bounce Bounce Back from Life's Hardest Hits. And this book will help you no matter what you're going through, if it's a divorce, a death, um, a a tragedy, any kind of tragedy for you to really get that bulletproof spirit, which we're going to talk about right now. Um, Azim went through a very difficult time in his life that he's going to tell us about it in just a minute. But when his son was murdered in 1995, and of course he went through the dark night of the soul, but from that he emerged to start the Tariq uh, 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 Kamisa Foundation, which then really spread the idea of love and forgiveness. And it's really helped millions of people. So we're going to talk about that now. So Azim, let's get started. And why don't you tell a little bit about the background because you say it with such grace. I'd love my audience to hear it. Well, thank you, Mari. And thanks for having me back on your show. Um, Well, the Bulletproof Spirit really came to play in my consciousness after I lost my son, Tariq which, as you know, was a very tragic incident. It happened 24 years ago. He was a great kid. He was a student at San Diego State University. Yes. And worked as a pizza delivery man on Fridays and Saturdays. Was lured to a bogus address by a youth gang. There was four of them. Three of them were 14. The leader was 18 years old, who gave a 9 millimeter handgun to a 14-year-old. And in a gang initiation, gave him the order to shoot and kill my son, which he did. And my son died uh, at the young age of 20. So needless to say, 
brought my life to a crashing halt. Mm -hmm. He was my only son. I have a beautiful daughter. Um, and, uh, you know, it's very complex for a parent to lose a child. And I went through all the emotions you'd anticipate a parent to go through. Suicidal at one point really did not know how to move forward. I had him for a short 20 years. He was an important part of my family, as all children are. Yes. But I've survived it, and what really helped me get through it uh, was my spiritual foundation. Practice as a Sufi Muslim. My mom was very spiritual. My dad was a businessman. So I grew up with equal emphasis on my career and my spiritual life. And I started to meditate when I was 20 years old. And I lost my son in my early 40s. Mm. And uh, I used to meditate an hour a day. Today, my practice is two hours a day. Mm. And in my deepest crisis, which, as you pointed out, was the loss of my son. Couldn't eat, couldn't eat, you know, all the biological functions change. And, but I could meditate. And I can connect with him that way, and I can still do that. And I was educated in England. I was born in Kenya. My roots are Eastern. And my education background is in mathematics and finance. And in mm. my deepest crisis, I said, all those degrees were useless. Right. What really stopped me was my spiritual foundation. Even Einstein said, we must take care not to make intellect our God. Sure, it has powerful muscles, but no personality. It cannot lead. It can only serve. This is Einstein. So in life, you're going to get problems your intellect is not going to be able to solve, even though you might have a double PhD. <laughs> life is going to get problems. Your hearts are not going to be able to heal. Then where are you? But by the same token, there are no problems. And I want to underscore that. There are no problems that you're going to go into your, that you're going to get into your life that your spirit cannot solve or heal. And I think I'm a good example of it because a spirit is bulletproof. You can't kill a spirit. You can't burn it. You can't wet it. You can't see it, but we all possess it. And the way I connect with my spirit is through my meditation. And for your viewers and your listeners, there are two free meditation, guided meditations on my website. One is on forgiveness, because I talk a lot about forgiveness and teach forgiveness. And the other one is on manifesting your goal. Mm -hmm. I now believe for sure that the spirit is much mightier than the intellect or the loving heart. And now I bring spirit into everything. I don't lead from my intellect or my loving heart. I really lead from my spirit. Because spirit, if you believe in spirit or a higher power, always helps you make the decisions that are in the highest good for you, the other person, and the universe. Right. I think that connection with the spirit is, is important to develop. And this book is about that. Right, right. So you say that all of us have the bullet's proof spirit. And so how do we tap into that right. when a crisis occurs? I know well, you've I meditated. I, I've been meditating since I'm 19 years old, right. um, but I do 20 minutes every morning, and I probably should be doing two hours like you do. <laughs> but at least it gets me going, and I will meditate during the day when I need it. Um, but for those people who don't meditate, um, what what are some suggestions? I know you have a bunch of suggestions in your book, but what are some suggestions for people 
when they have this horrible thing or tragedy that happens to them in their lives? Well, there, there are many, there are 30, we call them secrets, but there are 30 chapters, and each chapter is written with the idea of providing the lesson, and also then there is a boot camp. So some of the lessons that I teach in that, that first of all, you have to go through a grieving process. We have lost grieving as medicine. There's a great adage from the Turkish uh, culture, he who conceals his grief does not find a remedy for it. And there's a right way to grieve and a wrong way to grieve. The right way to grieve is to be able to essentially feel the pain. Rumi says the cure for pain is in the pain. Mm. We in the Sufi faith that I grew up, we were 40 days of grieving. When you're not supposed to cook or clean house, I was getting food and people from my mass for 40 days and taught that this is the time for you to grieve. And it was very painful because I would say, Tariq, I couldn't say died. It would take me a while. And since he died in such a tragic way, they wanted the whole story. And I used to think I can't tell this story one more time. Yeah, for sure. It's very healing to be able to share that. I know it's like taking the scab of the wound. Right. Scab reformed. It was a little smaller. So the right way to grieve is to read something inspiring, is to meditate, is to pray, is to share, is to be able to not suppress those feelings, but to share them with people that care. The Sufis, we chant a lot, we pray a lot, and every hour after I told the story, we went into a grieving process of chanting and prayer and meditation. So the important thing is journaling was something that helped me a lot, and I still journal even 24 years later, because it gets you to be able to deal with it. Another great quote that I like from Rumi, it says, the light enters through the wound. Yes. So it's important to grieve, but it's also important to stop grieving. So otherwise you stay a victim. Right. So in my culture, after the 40 days, I was told by my spiritual advisor that the reason we have a 40-day ritual is because the spirit of my son stayed in close proximity of my family and his good friends. But after 40 days, the spirit moves to a new consciousness because we believe there's a journey after death. And I was given the guidance that excessive grieving by family and friends after the 40 days will impede my son's journey in the we next world. Go on to the next level. Yeah. yeah. So rather than grieving after 40 days, do a good, compassionate deed in the name of the departing, which essentially creates spiritual currency for the departing and provides mm -hmm. high octane fuel for his journey in the next world. Gives him all that love and all that caring for him. Yeah, to and I thought, why did they teach this in, 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 in college? That's what kind of inspired me to start the Tariq Kamisa Foundation because his name is on the marquee. Yes. And we do good deeds in his name every single day so that I could create millions of dollars of spiritual currency so he could finish his journey in a rocket. That <laughs> felt good because it's a win for him. It's yeah. a win for me. And it's a win for all the kids that we've helped. So yeah. essentially, now it took me more than 40 days to be honest with you. It took oh, about yeah. two and a half years. But the point I'm trying to make is that it's important to grieve correctly. Incorrectly is to go on to... To hide yeah. it, to bury it, right? Yeah. I mean, you don't, or, or take pills and 
and, and, and doctors are very quick to give you all of this antidepressant stuff, and I never took any pills. Or you go to alcohol or you go to legal, illegal drugs. That's right. the wrong way to grieve. Right. The right way is, as Rumi says, the cure for pain is in the pain. And I truly believe God does not give you any more pain than you can handle. Right, right. And there's a saying that when your heart is broken, it breaks open so that the light of God can come in. I always love Actually, it's one of my quotes that says that there's nothing quite so painful as a broken heart. Yeah. But a broken heart is an open heart. Right. If one can learn to live with an open heart, then gentle transformations begin to manifest. Right. I work really hard to keep my heart open because yes. you can't grieve with a closed heart. It's only with an open heart that you don't judge that you can provide and receive love more freely because you have an open heart. Yeah. What is cut to your spirit is through the heart. Right. So after you grieve, what you did was you got into forgiveness. And I, I would love for you to tell the story of how you reached out to your son's murderer. I think that's so inspiring and and really touches all of us yes well he's you know as you pointed out every saint has had the dark night of the soul but sometimes in deep trauma there is a spark of clarity when i got the news about Tariq's death i remember i was in my kitchen i lost strength in both of my legs i bet it felt like you. yeah yeah collapsed to the floor hit my head against the refrigerator. And the pain was so excruciating that I actually had my, outer, my first out-of-body experience. And I couldn't be in my body because I couldn't deal with the pain. And I believe in the higher power. I believe in God. And I left my body. And I believe I went into a loving embrace of mm -hmm. God. And I don't, it was like a nuclear bomb that had gone off in my heart, if you can imagine that. Sure. And I don't remember how long I was gone. But when the explosion subsided, God sent me back into my body with the wisdom that there mm. are victims at both ends of the gun. Yes. Now, that didn't come from my intellect or my loving heart. I don't think us mortals are capable of that. No. But that it was a download from my higher power. So who is the enemy here? Is it the 14-year-old who killed myself? Or is it the peer pressure and the societal forces that forced many young men, especially young men of color, to fall through the crack and choose lives of gangs and crimes and drugs and alcohol and weapons. That's the real call. And they're looking for they're looking for connection. They're looking exactly. They're looking to belong, as you pointed. Yeah. So, so I that was an hour and a half after my son died. I I gave the killer the same status as my son. That's for them both to be victims. But then nine months later, I started the foundation with the mission of stopping kids from killing kids by breaking the cycle of youth violence. And essentially started with three mandates. Most first was to save lives of kids. How many do we lose every day? Think about 2018, 341 mass killings. How many school shootings every single day? Uh, too many. Yeah. So the first goal was to save lives of kids. I mean, it breaks my heart in Newtown, Connecticut, first graders. Five, six years old, 20 of them. Bandyhood, yeah. Uh, yeah. They had a lot of living to do. Our second mandate is to empower the right choices so they don't fall through the crack. 
And our third mandate is to teach the principles of empathy, of accountability, of compassion, of forgiveness, and more importantly, peacemaking and peace building. Yeah. And I start with a very simple prem premise, Mari, that violence is a learned behavior. If you accept that as a truism, then nonviolence can also be a learned behavior, but you have to teach it. Right, right. Where are our kids going to learn about nonviolence? So then I approached the grandfather and guardian of my son's killer, soon after I started the foundation, with the attitude, you know, I'm not here screaming retribution or revenge because your grandson killed my son. Mm. Rather, what I really see here is we both lost a son. Yeah. My son died and you lost your grandson. It was like a son to him because you lived yeah. with him and calls him daddy. He raised him, yeah. Yeah, to the adult criminal justice system. I can't bring my son back from the dead and you can't get Tony out of prison. The one thing you and I can do is to make sure no other parent or grandparent has to suffer what you've done or what you have been through or what I have been through. Will you help me? Mm. So fast forward the 24 years, we are... We created a safe school model. We have four programs. The first one is a life program. The grandfather and I are like brothers. We've been together for mm -hmm. 24 years. This man's grandson killed this man's son and we got together. So it's quite a story. And uh, I'm really, really hopeful and pleased. I've given now over a thousand school presentation to a million kids. I have over 150,000 letters. It gives me a lot of hope that these principles that we are teaching of nonviolence are not only teachable, our kids are hungry for them. Yes. And besides even teaching these principles, right, we're cutting expulsions and suspensions by 70%. Because when you expel a kid or suspend a kid, guess where he ends up? They're on the street, right? Absolutely. They're five times more likely to get involved with crime and gangs if they're expelled than if they're in school. So we don't believe in expulsion and suspensions. I wish I could tell you we can stop 100% of expulsions and suspensions. We're not there yet, but we're at 70%. And it's affordable. Our sales school model is very reasonable. You know, I mean, it costs $10,615 to provide free public education in California. Mm. It costs $148,000 to incarcerate a youth for one year. Yeah. And even after spending that, the recidivism rate is 84%. So yes. 84% go back in. Our safe school model costs $100 a kid a year. Yeah. So it's a it, investment. It financial sense, but more than that, it just changes people's lives, which is so much more important. Absolutely. Let's talk a bit about when you actually met Tony and, and that whole forgiveness and what it's done to Tony, because I know yeah. that's... That was yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean yeah, that's another amazing story. I met him when he was 19. He's 38 years now. So he's uh, 19. Yeah, I've known him for 19 years. And I met him when he was in, uh, in Folsom Prison. And uh, he knew I'd forgiven him because I'd been with his grandfather for a good four and a half years. And uh, that was a very cathartic moment because when I... I told the grandfather, I want you to go with me. This is the first time I'm going to see Tony. Yeah. I a long time with him because he was the last person to see my son. And yeah. that's also in the story that only he can complete. Mm. He, us, you know, he was very gracious, the grandfather. He left us for an hour and a half. And I talked man to man with Tony. And sure enough, he was able to fill in some of those holes. But at one point, 
I'm sitting really close to him across a coffee table. We locked eyes. Mm. I'm looking in his eyes. He's holding that glance. And I'm looking in his eyes trying to find a murderer. And I did. I was able to climb through his eyes and touch his humanity that I got the spark in him was no different than the spark in you or me or anybody else who was listening to this conversation. Right. I wasn't expecting that. He was respectful. He was remorseful. He was well-mannered. He was a likable kid. I could tell my hand of forgiveness had changed him. So at that point, I told him, Mari, that you know I've forgiven you because your grandfather and I have been working together for a good four years. But I want you to know when you come out of prison, there's a job waiting for you at the Tariq Kamisa Foundation. You come and join your grandfather and me. And when I left, I remember clearly, even though it was 19 years ago, <laughs> the bounce in my stride was a lot more bouncier yeah. than when I walked in. And I thought, like a big albatross was lifted. Yes. Shoulder. And I thought to myself, forgiveness can be so freeing. I knew at that point that I'd completed my journey of forgiveness. And I thought to myself, why did I wait five years? Mm. Now fast forward. He wrote, and I have a trilogy, Murder to Forgiveness, Forgiveness to Fulfillment, Fulfillment to Peace. It's a 20-plus journey that started dark with murder, but that ended up in peace. I'm at peace today that I never have been before. Not that I don't want Tariq back, of course. Oh. I want to make him in a New York second. But and you know you'll see him again. You know that. Forgiveness was, my portal to peace was through forgiveness. Yes. And Tony wrote the foreword to that last book. He recently got parole. I was there in November. Oh. He's, still, he's still involved with the judicial system because he has to go through a halfway house and all of that. Right. But he'll be out sooner or later, totally. But he definitely won parole. So he's on his way out. And we look forward to the day. I mean, he's mm -hmm. been in prison for 24 years. But he's, uh, he's, uh, he's turned out to be a fine young man. He already does a blog on TKF website. Oh. And uh, I know when he's eventually able to be on stage with me and says, when I was 11, I joined a gang when I was 14. I killed how Mr. Powerful, Kamisa's son. How powerful that will be. Yeah, I, I wish I could turn the clock back. Yes. So he'll save a lot of kids that are probably thinking about joining a gang at the age of 11, 12, 13, because he understands that he wishes, and I sincerely believe he would love to turn the clock back. Obviously, you can't do that. So I think he's going to be a powerful emissary when he becomes part of the foundation. Yes, yes. So let's talk a little bit about forgiveness because I deal with people you know that are angry and have a conflict and then I'm sitting there trying to help them to resolve conflict, whether it's divorce or whether it's a partnership agreement. There's a lot of unforgiveness. And I tell people how important forgiveness is and let's talk about why it's so important for the person who forgives. Right, because I think it's, I mean, I wrote my first book from Murder to Forgiveness. You almost had to go back to the scriptures. That was 21 years ago. Um, there wasn't much on forgiveness. Today, there are 500 clinical studies that show forgiveness is healthy. Now, I do a two-day workshop in Hawaii every April, which is a deep dive in forgiveness. I teach both how to forgive people that have harmed you now to forgive yourself, because at some level we've all harmed, and we need to look at our own stuff 
before we can get to peace. But the main thing that I could share with you in a few minutes is it's important to separate yourself from the offender, whoever that is. I had my journey, Tony had his journey. I'm gonna leave Tony to the higher power. Right. Because if you stay in anger and resentment, who are you hurting? So. There's a great quote from Mandela, resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. Right, so right. I would say you leave the offender to the higher power, forgive me something you do for yourself. Here's a good example of it. I gave a, a two-day workshop in, uh, uh, in St. Paul, Minnesota, few years ago, and I remember this lady, a Jewish lady, that it's a two-day workshop, it's a train-the-trainer workshop. Right. On the morning of the second day, she says, Azim, you don't get it. And I said, what is it I don't get? I'm trying to forgive Hitler. And you could see the anger, because her family, unfortunately, was a Holocaust you know, victim. Mm, right. A big blemish in our, in our history, and I think about mm. it, it still tears me up. I said to her, I said, how is it working for you? I mean, I could see the etch of face, anger on her face. Right. I said, listen to me. The higher power knows how to deal with Hitler better than you do or I do. And as you and I'm speaking, the higher power is dealing with Hitler. Why do you want Hitler to live in this meager, right. important real estate of your psyche? Yeah. Why don't you let it go so love and joy can live there? Knowing that Hitler's being dealt with, so you don't have to be in that space. And right. she kind of got it. The, the light bulb went on. And even yeah. by the end of the second day, you could see a different aura. Yes. She sent me a beautiful card a month later. I, mean, I get a lot of cards, but this was a beautiful card thanking me for the workshop. But on the PS was, my husband thanks you. <laughs> <laughs> We've been married for 35 years. We now have the most loving relationship because Hitler does not live here. Yeah, right. So the point is, you yeah. get forgiveness because it's better for you, knowing there's no escaping wrongdoing, leave the offender to the other place. If you can get that, yeah. then you can start the process of forgiving by grieving, yes. giving up all the resentment, and like I did, maybe reaching out to the offender with love and compassion. Not everybody has to reach out to the murderer of his child. I mean, often, right. as you pointed right. out, it's divorce and it's uh, business partners. I do this work in the business world. There's conflict and yeah. management teams. Sure. A lot of angst in, 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 in our lives. Even in uh, father-son, I've seen that. Mother-daughter, siblings fighting over inheritance. You know, when you finally yeah. decide that forgiveness is healthy for you, knowing that even Christ said, take the plank out of your eyes so you can see the speck in your brother's eye more clearly. Mm -hmm. Leave the offender to the higher power. Karma always balances. Right. So well, what a perfect way to end. I just, yeah, I, that's perfect. Well, Azim, we're so glad to be with you again and to share all of your wisdom and all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your forgiveness. Um, I know when I talk to people, I say, you have to forgive for yourself. Otherwise, you're like shackled to the past. That's right. So, that's one thing you're not. And so we will definitely have you back again. We honor you. Let's give your website so that my audience can know to go and find you. 
Yes. Uh, so my website is, there's two websites. One is a foundation, which is TKF, T as in Tom, K as in King, F as in Frank, dot org. And then my personal website is my name, azimkamisa.com. You also have your book, bulletproofspirit.com. Yes, yes. So that's another mm-hmm. one where you have a lot of great resources there. Yes, there's a plenty... It's plenty on YouTube as well and plenty of interviews and podcasts. So if you just Google my name, a lot of it will show up. Wonderful. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. You gotta fight both night and day. Doesn't matter what some people may say. Don't be the lamb's crap, be the lion's roar. Frank, host of Privacy Piracy, which airs every Monday morning right here on KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. And I'm pleased to present the weekly segment of Orange County Sheriff News and Safety Tips. And today I'm going to give you some tips about how to report suspicious persons and activities. So if you see something suspicious, Call immediately to the Orange County Sheriff so they can act fast. The longer that you wait, the harder it is to catch the criminal. Here's some thoughts. Here's some things to look for. Persons loitering in the neighborhood in a vehicle or on foot. Persons and or vehicles in the same location for a really long or unusual period of time when they don't belong there. Persons peering into other people's cars. Valuables being removed from somebody's home or vehicle and you know that that's not their home or vehicle. Strange vehicles parked at neighbors' homes. Just be on the lookout and be aware to help your neighbors and your friends. Thanks. (laughs) 